This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Okay, wow, this is an awesome, awesome experience. At least it was for me with the podcast, and it continues to be. The Miracle Morning, way, way, way amazing. Hal Elrod, I got to meet here in Austin for the first time at the party that I was telling you all about in the previous episode with Austin, um, where I got to bring the deer leg from my second hunt ever to celebrate the synchronous union of amazing people in Austin, Texas. And Hal was one of those people I got to meet. And now I've incorporated his Miracle Morning, not only to my daily life, but also into the treasure hunt, scavenger hunt for the 12 Days of Christmas gifts through this Breaking Normal podcast launch. So make sure to go to BreakingNormal.com, check out the podcast section, and join that hunt because I think there's a very good chance that y'all, you're going to win many prizes along the way and potentially three of y'all winning free trips to an international tribe design. And beyond that incentive, this is one of those destinations where the journey is the goal the journey is the gold as well the journey is what makes it really amazing and the destination is a celebration and that's the miracle morning and how elrod is a pioneer of that you'll hear you'll get to hear how i was i heard about the miracle morning and the power of it way before i even knew who hal elrod the author of the book was just through the mystic misfits doing it next door to me when we lived together and now all of a sudden i find out this guy hal's at this party and there was a, a pretty vulnerable circle where we were all praying together for a while, <laughs> holding hands for a while, like an ultra-spiritual breaking normal tribe, and uh, where we were sharing our hearts. And that came up in my heart that I wanted to interview Hal for this podcast, and I made I declared that right there in that circle. The same place I declared that I wanted to start hunting, and both came to fruition. And I'm so excited to share this synergy with y'all. I'm so excited to hear your reviews about it. And I'm so excited for you to start your miracle morning. Here we go. All right. So, Hal, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. And uh, I'm just going to start this off a little bit, my, my connection to you before I actually knew you. Yeah. Um, when I was living in Encinitas, where you just met my daughter, we actually had set up a nest for over a year, which is a record for me and my family for over a decade. Wow. And my next door neighbors, you might know of them, the Mystic Misfits, uh, Ryan yeah, Bowditch, yeah, yeah. Kevin sure. Orslin, and Jordan Bowditch. Love those guys. Yeah, and I would have my like morning rituals. I would, I'm, I'm a big believer in rituals, and um, I would be doing my thing, but every morning they were doing something about like lifesavers and this miracle morning. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I was a little more attached to like surfing, and I had a freezer plunge, and it's actually kind of similar to the acronym of savers, just in a different order and a different style. Interesting. But um, that's how I know how, before meeting him, currently we're in Austin, Texas. We got to meet up the other night with our friends Brandon Hawk and J.P. Sears and just kicked it off, and I invited him to be on the show, and here we are. Yeah, Dear Meet Daniel. That's how I remember uh, your name. <laughs> yeah, that was an honor sharing that with you and your family. And we have a picture of his book right here, The Miracle Morning, which, from my understanding, before I met you in person, Brandon was like, yeah, Hal Alrod, he uh, self-published his book and has over a million copies sold. Is that correct? Yeah, and well, it's 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 mostly correct. Um, okay. So I self-published it in 2012, actually 12, 12, 12. Uh, I wanted to pick a date that I would never forget. This podcast is launching on 12, 12. I'm doing 12 episodes starting on 12, 12. That's it. I know. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, I like it. A little bit of serendipity, uh, coincidence, something there. But uh, the so it's self-published, and then um, uh, 
uh, about a year, two years after, two or three years when it was after it was out, I was having dinner, an entrepreneurial dinner, uh, and I was uh, Mike Koenigs was there, and we became friends, and uh, he was asking me lots of questions about books, and I told him about Miracle Morning. We had sold a hundred thousand copies of the book then, and he goes, "Do you have a traditional publisher?" And I said, "No," I, or he said, "We thought about going with a traditional publisher," and I said, "No, I, 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 you know, I, I feel like that's the next level to get it out there in a bigger way." And uh, he goes, "Well, I've got a great agent. Uh, I can introduce you to my agent and, and go from there." And so he hooked me up with his agent, you know, who she's a top literary agent, and uh, she presented Miracle Morning to all these New York publishers, and we got 13 offers, and uh, none of them made sense financially. So I turned them all down, but it was really, it was really um, affirming to go, wow, these traditional publishers see that even though we've sold 100,000 copies of the book, there's still like this runway where they're willing to invest and back it, but it just doesn't make sense for me. And then they turned it over to the foreign rights department. And so to keep a long story, not as long, uh, The Miracle Morning is self-published still in the United States and Canada. And it has been picked up by 34 traditional publishers, uh, foreign publishers, and translated and, and published in 34 uh, other countries. And so, 500, roughly five to six hundred thousand of the Miracle Morning books that have been sold have been in the United States, okay. and about and the rest, the other half a million or so, have been across those other 34 countries. Okay, well, this is all a big deal to me because I recently got to publish, self-publish my first book, and that was uh, last year. And this is the, what it looks like on Amazon, by the way. This is nice. the cover. I'm not sure if you've seen it. I have um, not seen it. And in, I case had, you, in case you haven't seen it, here it is, our audience. <laughs> I had a similar situation, just like wondering, do I want to do self-publishing? Do I want to go with an agent? And we talked with some agents, and we had some things going on and ideas here and there. But in reality, I feel most aligned right now with keeping it self-published. And this is what this major the major part of this podcast. This is the Breaking Normal podcast. I'm imagining this is going to grow the outreach to that book, and that's a big goal of mine. And I want to nice. dive deep into that. Okay. That's why I have a feeling this the topic is going to be like. So if you're into the idea of getting the book that's in you out of you and getting it distributed the best way possible, I have a feeling this podcast might be very valuable. Absolutely. And this is one of my favorite. I told you one of my favorite topics. I don't get to talk about this a lot. You know, uh, books and. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. So. And I do want to say I've been listening to Hal's book on Audible um, for my – even on my morning ritual today. I've, I love like walking and listening to books, so I get the reading and exercise there a yeah, little bit. And you get to walk my dog and baby sometimes. So nice. uh, I love your book. I love how uh, – I just want to – a few of the things that are really sticking out to me. I really – like this sh shifting the paradigm of people that think they're not morning people. Which sure. is, that's just a big deal right there. Sure. That's a, I think a self-imposed prison that a lot of people put them in, put themselves in. And I think you're waking up people to that. That doesn't have to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my big, that was the, the, the I think my biggest insecurity uh, when I was writing the book, it was, I, I thought people have such a deeply ingrained limiting belief that says I'm not a morning person. And I had that my whole life, right? Until I figured a few things out and then I created my little miracle morning. It wasn't a book idea. It wasn't a book title. It was my own thing. And it, it changed my life so fast, this morning ritual that I created for myself that it felt like a miracle. I told my wife one day, sweetie, it feels like a miracle. She's like, it's like your miracle morning. And I'm like, yeah. And so I started writing it. My schedule is my miracle morning. Is that how it was phrased? Yeah. Did your wife say that's yeah. like your miracle morning? Yeah. Because I like said it feels like a miracle because it was less than two months of doing it that my life changed. And so, um, the, but the biggest, as I was typing it, you know, and sitting in my, on my couch, right, writing my book on my computer, uh, I would always stop or get, you know, writer's block and I would go, who, not, not, not who's going to read this as much as how, what words could I possibly write that are going to 
convince someone who has an entire lifetime of reinforced daily experience that says, dude, I'm not a morning person. I've never been. My entire life, I've never been as a kid, as a teen, as an adult. I go, what could I possibly write that would change that for them? And um, yeah, I'm, you know, it was pleasantly surprising. We surveyed our, our community a few years ago and asked what percentage of them, because uh, there's you know, roughly half a million people do the Miracle Morning every day and it grows. And uh, I said, what percentage of them had never been a morning person? So this was like a radical shift. And then what percentage of them were already morning people? So it was like, yeah, I'm just going to you know, do, do the miracle morning instead of checking Facebook, right? Or checking email. And uh, I was pretty blown away. 72% of, of our audience said they had never in their entire lives been a morning person until they read the book. And so that was like, wow, it actually, the, my biggest fear around even writing the book and feeling like it was pointless because I couldn't change that narrative in their head, that limiting belief, it actually, it, it, somehow it worked, you know, and it, and it, and it changed it. I, I can resonate with that because uh, one of the taglines of Breaking Normal has been the brand. And I actually got to sell my Breaking Normal cool bus to Jordan Bowditch, who I mentioned earlier. On the back <laughs> of it, it said, what's most personal is most universal. So it's it's proven to be true. And the idea that like someone's biggest fear, there's usually a huge treasure right behind it. So sure. thank you for facing that fear and expressing what's most personal to you. And it seems like it's universally growing. And I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to be here with you. And I'm stoked to find out about the book and see how it can upgrade my life too. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And we can go anywhere you want to. I'm happy to chat about anything. Okay, cool, cool. And on that case, um, Breaking Normal. I, I would just like, do you think about the strategy, like starting a podcast? I'm imagining that's a one strategy to grow a self-published book. Like, yeah. I'm just curious from like, you knowing a little bit about me, I'm going to ask your intuitive hunch, like anything that you have to maybe some strategies or ideas of how I can get breaking more normal into more people's hands because the people that are reading it, it seems to be profoundly impacting their lives. And it, it's, it's like five star reviews, a hundred plus, maybe reaching 200 on Amazon. So nice. it's, there's a good traction, but I am still, I'm ready for that quantum leap too, to go from like, maybe we're approaching 10,000 books to maybe a hundred thousand to yeah. a million. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So the biggest, uh, for me, the biggest needle mover in terms of getting the book into people's hands um, was, uh, being interviewed on other people's podcasts. So I, um, so actually I'll, I'll share a few things. Number one is, uh, you know, I did everything I could to launch the book as big as I possibly could. You know, we sold, I think the first month, 1500 copies on Amazon. So it was, I didn't have a big platform. Right. And, um, it took me, but I believe so much in the messages I can tell you do with breaking normal. Right. And, uh, and, and you've seen what I call microcosm evidence, right. Which is where you've, you, you've heard from enough people that this is changing my life that you know if you can get it out to enough people right or you know that that, that it that it will make a big impact right yeah it feels like almost as a responsibility that, that's it that's for me that that's why i wrote all every book i've written uh or, or particularly the first two which my first book was called taking life head on and i have that contrast of a book that was really well received people loved it but it didn't do very well right so like it got great reviews but didn't sell very many copies um and then miracle morning which kind of did both, right? And um, the, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, so, so with Miracle Morning, um, I, I've, you know, I, I invested money to learn how to get on TV. And I did like over a dozen TV interviews on morning shows, which I thought in my head when I was writing the book, like, oh, the marketing morning shows would be the biggest. It makes sense. It's a morning show. People are, right? Um, 
that didn't move the needle at all, you know, and I flew all over the country and paid my own travel and stuff, right, to go do these TV shows, didn't move the needle. Um, uh, I did my own podcast, I launched it with the book. Uh, so, so yes, that is a strategy. Now, I don't, I, don't have a, I, didn't, I don't have a way to track between that and the next strategy, which is being on other people's podcasts. That was what moved the needle. Um, and not any one podcast, just the accumulative effect, right? And so every week for a year and a half, well, I mean, I've been running it now for six years, my podcast. So we do a weekly, I do a weekly podcast. It's called Achieve Your Goals with Hal Elrod. That's my weekly podcast. But then I've done somewhere between 200 and 300 podcast interviews on other people's podcasts. And that drove the needle more than anything else. And here's why. I, I, I think if you're, if you're, wa- if you're uh, watching tele- – like the people that watch morning TV shows aren't necessarily the people that read self-help books, right? They just watch TV. And, uh, and so – and also often the TV is on where they're getting ready for the kids or whatever. But the people that listen to podcasts, right, like by definition, they're seeking out personal development or professional development, right? They're trying to learn. They're trying to grow or whatever the heck the – right? And if you're on a podcast that – is in the niche of your book. It's the same type of audience. You're directly reaching people that are motivated to take action, to consume content that will improve their life. And a podcast also costs you nothing, right? You just, you just, you get on somebody's podcast. You don't have to pay for that. Typically. I'm sure there are people that charge you to get on other people's podcast or whatever, but, but yeah, so that's was the biggest needle mover was me being on other people's podcasts. And on that note, are there any pod, since it sounds like you've been interviewed quite a bit on a lot of podcasts, are there any that stick out in your mind as your favorite ones that you've been interviewed by or the favorite episodes? Um, yeah. So Pat Flynn was someone who he had me on his podcast. He, he hosts the Smart Passive Income podcast. Do you know Pat? I don't think I do. So one of the top podcasts in the world and one of the sweetest guys in the world. Like okay. he, Pat is just, you know, family man. I just, I'm very aligned with, I love, he's, he's just beautiful human being. Right. And, uh, and I, so I always want to be on his show for that reason. And I, uh, I think I'd reach out to him a couple of times and he didn't respond, you know, or, I mean, he gets so many requests. Right. And so finally someone was like, Hey, you should have Hal on your show. And this Hal already guy, and he's like, I think he'd heard, you know, I've heard from him. Uh, maybe I'll, you That know. seems like a big step right there. So if someone is listening and including myself, yeah. um, and I want to be on someone's podcast, it might be hard to get on. There's one method of reaching out directly, but it sounded like the friend, the suggested friend is what opened the door for you. Yeah. So my strategy or my recommended strategy for getting on podcasts is start with the smallest podcasts with no listeners, right? Like A, to get your reps in of being interviewed, right? Because as you get interviewed to talk about your book, it's like anything you get, you know, you'll, a lot of times it's just by accident. You say something or an interview, like, Ooh, that was good. I want to remember that for next time. That actually was, you know, it, 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 it added value for listener and it actually kind of plugged my book. That was kind of cool, you know? And, and so it's like, you, you, you know, you don't, if Tim Ferriss called you today and he's like, Hey, beyond my show, you, you know, you've never been on a podcast. I would be like, uh, I mean, I would, uh, you gotta do it, but you know, but, it, but it's like, I'd rather see somebody, you know, having done 30 podcast interviews, like with podcasts that, that they're not, you know, where they're getting practice before they get on some big shows. So, I, so my recommended right where I'm at personally. So, but if for anyone, everyone's listening, I love this strategy before you're trying to bench press your max, maybe work your way up a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Get on a, get on small podcasts. And then, so I mean, you literally could go to the, you know, new and noteworthy and then go to the bottom of the list, right. And then reach out to those podcasters. It's also a numbers game. So if you email, you know, a hundred podcasts, maybe you'll get on, you'll hear back from, 22 of them, right? Or whatever, right? So it's a numbers game. Um, and then here's the deal. Every time, and th- this is where my direct sales experience has been invaluable, uh, another aspect of me applying it, which is I l- when I was in sales, I, it was all off referrals, 
right? Every person I did an appointment for, I would ask at the end, hey, do you know anybody that would be nice enough to take a look at the product? And, you know, they don't have to buy anything. There's no pressure. It's like with you, me, and you, just whatever. They, uh, so every time I did a podcast interview, at the end, I would say, hey, do you know any other podcasters that you think this would be a, a good fit for? And they'd usually almost always say, yeah, I've got, you know, and I would say, hey, well, what's easiest for, for me to connect with you on that? I can all, you know, I, I want to get easy for you. If I send you an email, would that be easy? And I could send you like a little paragraph that you can just forward on to introduce me to them, right? So you make it super easy for them. And they're like, yeah. So I would email them, hey, thank you so much for anyone you can introduce me to. Here's a little paragraph you can copy and paste to send. And I would literally write it, hey, friend, like I just had someone on my show and here's why it was great. Here's the things they talked about. And I think it would add value for your audience. And of course, when I send that email, I say, Hey, you know, feel free to edit this as much as you want, but that's it. So every time I got on a podcast, I would average getting on another one, two, three, four, five, you know, referred to other podcasts. And I just kept that going infinitely. Wow. Okay. I think that's some golden advice right there. Thank you for that. And now I'm going to probably bounce around here and there, true breaking normal ADHD style, because <laughs> nice, I, I, I heard you mention that in the book. Uh, and you said, you said that's another conversation. So I would love to briefly talk to you about that, because that's something I talk about in my book. I I uh, call myself an ambitious, defiant, happy Danimal <laughs> with my attention dialed into a higher dimension. So just recontextualizing that label it. or that idea um, what is it? What's your story around that? Did you get diagnosed with ADHD? Or? When I was in my twenties. Okay. Yeah, a buddy of mine. So throughout high school, I just you know, I, like I it was ADHD wasn't I don't know I just, I'd never even heard of it. Um, and then when I was in my twenty, I was probably twenty four or five. Uh, one of my best friends, John Burgoff, he uh, he called me and uh, he had been diagnosed and he said, um, Hal, uh, if I have ADHD, dude, you've got it on steroids, you know? And he's like, you should go get checked out. And so, and he didn't really know any better. I didn't know anybody. We were just like, all right. And I went and I got, I got checked out and they prescribed Adderall. And, and I was like, okay. And I didn't know anything about it except for trusting the doctor. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I was on Adderall for off and on for like, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, quite a while. And, and I, once I, I was on it for, you know, six months, or something. And then my dad sent me an article like Adderall can cause blah, 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 whatever. And then I'm like, and I literally did not have any context that it was harmful. And then I read that and I was like, oh. And so then I quit. And then like I quit for six months and then I got like, I couldn't focus. And then I'm like, I went back to the Adderall. And I would basically like for those six or seven or eight years, it was off and on, like on six months, off six months, on six months, off six months, you know, and taking the minimum little, I would break off. I would take as little as I could. So, um, and, uh, you know, total side topic or related topic, but you know, a couple of years, two years ago, I was diagnosed with a really rare aggressive form of cancer. Um, and obviously I, you know, I have no proof of any, and the doctors don't know what caused it, but I ate such a healthy lifestyle eating, you know, primarily an organic raw plant-based diet with only grass fed, you know, me, like uh, no chemicals. Like I, had, the only thing I put in my body that was foreign was Adderall. You know, and so, I mean, I didn't drink much alcohol, nothing. So it's like, that's the only thing I can point to that could have caused you know, I don't know, cancer or whatever. Yeah, well, so I, I, there is some definitely some triumphant heroes journeys in this book, and I, I did not hear anything about the cancer in the book. Is this after? No, it was, it was after the book that I had. Yeah, that I do got you cancer. want to share about that real quick? Yeah. I would love to just know what happened with that because it sounded, it sounds like something mysterious happened. Yeah, yeah. So the the first, so so I'll, I'll even go back a little bit further. You know, you mentioned in the book. So the the story that I've been sharing for 
gosh, what am I, 39 now? So 20 years when I was, uh, or when I was 20 years old, I was driving home from a sales meeting. I'd given a speech at a conference and my uh, car, I had a brand new Ford Mustang. It was, you know, at 20, that was like the dream car, bought the Mustang and it was three weeks old. I just bought it and a drunk driver in a full-size Chevy truck, much larger than my little Ford Mustang, got on the freeway going the wrong way. And he was doing, they say 70 to 80 miles an hour. I was doing about 70 miles an hour and hit the drunk driver head on at 70 miles an hour and bounced off the drunk driver. My car spun off the drunk driver and the car behind me crashed into my door at 70 miles an hour. And so anybody that's listening or watching, if you look over your left shoulder and imagine a car is coming at you at 70 miles an hour and just crashes into your door, and what you might imagine happened, you know, the entire left side of my car was crushed into my body and I broke 11 bones instantly. My femur broke in half, my pelvis broke in three places, crushed between the center console, my arm, my humerus bone broke in half, shattered my elbow, severed my radial nerve, shattered my eye socket, ear was almost completely severed, um, and uh, I was immediately unable to withstand the pain. I was in a coma. And when they cut me out of the car an hour later with the jaws of life, the fire department, I bled to death. I died for six minutes. Uh, I was in a, co a coma for six days, uh, flatlined twice in that coma, came out of the coma, was told I would never walk again. I had permanent brain damage, um, which my wife will attest. I do have permanent brain damage. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that was my first kind of, you know, extraordinary adversity. And, and, and I, I just had this really positive attitude. So positive, in fact, that the doctors called my parents in and they, they said, we think Hal's in denial. Um, he's, he's so happy and positive and smiling and joking and making us laugh. And that's not normal for a 20 year old young man who's being told he's never going to walk again. But Hal's telling us he's going to be the happiest person we've ever seen in a wheelchair. You know, and what they didn't realize is I wasn't in denial. It was the opposite. I had fully accepted it. I, well, if I can't ever walk again, then I can't ever walk again. And I might as well be the happiest and the most grateful I could ever be, despite what my circumstances are. And then uh, I got through that experience. I learned to walk again. I recovered. I that shifted my focus of, I decided I wanted to be a speaker and an author and like share my story to help other people. Started speaking at high schools and colleges. And then, oh, what was it? Eight years later? Uh, or no, no. What year are we? I'm so confused. Like, no, 15 years later. Um, I, uh, I, I was, yeah, I was, I, all of a sudden my, uh, my lung was started. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, unable to breathe. This was two, just, just had my two year anniversary. Um, and I woke up unable to breathe. And, uh, after a couple of days of it, not getting better, went to urgent care and they misdiagnosed me with pneumonia and it just kept getting worse, kept getting worse, kept getting worse. And then I went in and, uh, got, saw another doctor and they said, you, could have cancer or some mysterious infection. We don't know. And I thought definitely not cancer. Like I literally live an anti-cancer lifestyle. I watched a documentary in, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago called Healing Cancer from the Inside Out. And uh, it was all about kind of what causes cancer and how to, you know, prevent it and this and that. And so I just lived a really, I watched that. I bought that for all my friends and family and I just lived a really clean lifestyle. And so, um, when they said it could be cancer, I'm like, like uh, it's got to be some weird infection because there's like, I, I can't imagine it's cancer. I wasn't in denial. I was like, but I just don't think that would be it. And uh, it was it, one of the most aggressive and rare forms of cancer. I went and got a second opinion. When I went and got to the second opinion, within a matter of days, I went from being totally healthy to not only was my lung, my left lung was collapsed. My heart was failing on the verge of failing and my kidneys were on the verge of failing. I had acute lymphoblastic leukemia and that cancer for adults has a 20 to 30% survival rate. So I have, you know, I've got a wife, 
I have a nine-year-old daughter. I have a six-year-old son. So to be told you have a 20 to 30% chance of making it, which for, I always say for you glasses, half empty folks, right? That's a 70 to 80% chance you're going to die in the next few months. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, you know, I, uh, and, and I had the same response as I did with the accident. I said, I will be the happiest and the most grateful that I could possibly be while I go through what I'm imagining will be the most difficult time in my life. And um, yeah, we can go as deep into the journey as you want and how I approached it, but that was what happened. Yeah. Are you cancer free is what was. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so, so I'll, I'll just, I'll say one piece on this, which is I, I, because I do live a really natural lifestyle, I I viewed chemo as kind of poison. I'm like, I don't, you know, this is not a, you're, you're, and, and I was even told by a doctor, like the point of chemo is to kill the cancer. And as it's killing the patient, we try to hopefully kill the cancer before we've killed the patient and then back the chemo off. That's how it was described to me, right? Like somebody like, it was actually a, a, a nurse that had a real conversation with me. So, but anyway, so I didn't want to do chemo at all. I wanted to completely cure it naturally and holistically. And I went and asked my oncologist that, my doctor, uh, I said, hey, I, you know, can you support me in healing this naturally? And this was like right when I was diagnosed. And he said, Hal, you don't have a slow growing tumor. You have a blood cancer. It's acute lymphoblastic leukemia. He said, um, and you have one of the most aggressive, fast acting, you know, uh, cancers. He said, you were healthy a week ago. Now your kidneys, your heart, and your lungs are all on the verge of failing. He said, you have, if we don't start chemo today, you have, uh, I would imagine between a few days and maybe a week or two to, to live before you're dead. And I thought that was a scare tag. Like I, I, I really, I, I felt like that was, he was trying to push me into the chemo, you know? And I was kind of like in my head, like middle finger, like, dude, you know? And so I was like, Hey, can I, can my wife and I have 24 hours at least to go home and discuss this and think about it and consult Dr. Google, you know? And, um, and, and so, so I, through Google searching and learning about more about this cancer that I was diagnosed with, I realized that, oh, he's not exaggerating. Most people die from it because they are diagnosed with like I was pneumonia or something. And it kills you so fast that they die before they know it's cancer. And so I had to start chemo the next day. And what I did is I did everything that holistically that you would do if you didn't have chemo as an option to heal for myself from cancer. I mean, I was taking, you know, like 70 supplements a day. I was juicing. I was doing coffee enemas. I was doing ozone sauna. I was doing acupuncture. I was doing specific kinds of massage. I was meditating during my miracle morning, right? Like I did everything that you would do holistically and uh, and, you know, Western medicine as well. And I just combined the two, Um, everything I could to detoxify from the chemo and all this. And I think that's, a big part of why, yes, I am cancer-free, um, you know, today. Wow. Wow. I mean, that sounds like, is there a future book coming up about that journey by any chance? There is. Oh, it's funny. I wrote a book. So I wrote a book that is on the top, like we're talking about books today. I wrote a book that was finished right before I got, like right around the time I was diagnosed with cancer, we finished the first draft. It's called Beyond the Best Seller: How to Write a Book That Creates a Movement, Earns You a Fortune, and Changes the World. So that's the book that I was going to come out with. Then I had this cancer journey, which was very public. I mean, I shared it with, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people in the Miracle Morning community. And I would do video blogs and share what I was learning and experiencing. And um, and so it, being that that journey was so public and just even when that my heart was in this, like what I just overcame and learned from it, I thought coming out with a my next book being like, hey, I just had this amazing cancer journey that I survived. Here's how you sell lots of books. Like it didn't feel very aligned. So a book that's been on my heart since long before the Miracle Morning was even a thought is called The Miracle Equation. 
And it's this, the miracle equation is this formula that I created or identified when I was uh, 20, actually, when I was back in, when I was in sales, it was actually about a year after my car accident. Um, and it allowed me to break all sorts of sales records. And then I taught it to other people and they went and broke records. And I realized that, wait, this is like a universal formula. And I've always wanted to write a book about it, but I, I didn't feel like I had enough context. I just had a sales experience with it. And it was the formula that I used to beat cancer. And so, yes, the next book, uh, it's with, and it's my first traditionally published book, by the way, I actually did go with Penguin Random House and it comes out in April, 2019. It's called The Miracle Equation. It's called The Two Decisions That Move Your Goals From Possible to Probable to Inevitable. I'm excited for that. Um, and one detail, I just, there, there's yeah. so much, you're dropping a lot of wisdom here that you've lived through. So thank you for this. It's exciting for me just to be here and listen to this. Um, did you say you use chemo on top of all the other modalities? Yes. So you did it all. I did. I, so I did the chemo and I felt like my hand was forced and I tried to quit every month. I'm like, okay. Cause they're like, oh, we, you know, the cancer counts are down. Like, I'm like, oh, so can I quit the chemo? And they're like, well, no, no, no. Like, you know, our, our measurements can only detect so much. And this chemo is designed to go kill all the cancer. Like it, it was, you can ask my wife and my, I mean, it was such, so hard for me to do chemo. And then I finally had a converse, like, but basically, so here's what actually kind of led to me. Part of what making that decision was I reached out to one of the best holistic doctors in the world. Um, he's in Houston, which is where I was getting my treatment. And, uh, uh, Suzanne Summers swears by this guy, right? Like, you know, the famous Suzanne Summers three's company. So she, I read about her and I read about him in her book and, uh, and I reached out to him. And when I told him what my cancer was, he said, I, I can't do anything for you. And so I was like, wait, if the best holistic doctor in the world or one of the best does, didn't feel like he can help me, like, what am I going to do it on my own? You know, so that was kind of just like with my particular cancer. Um, yeah, chemo was kind of the only thing that there's even a remote chance of, of curing it. Man, man, you, it sounds like you went through the cycle of the hero's journey to infinity and beyond yeah, several yeah. times already. Yeah, so. I lost a fourth of my body weight, man. I weighed 160 seven before when I got before I got cancer and then I got down to 127 at six feet tall I mean I was it was crazy yeah wow okay well I'm I'm happy I asked that and uh I'm happy you're here I'm happy you're here and so energetic and stoked <laughs> and I I the I know we're going back and forth a lot which I love to do but the ADHD uh, thing I think is uh when someone re ADHD to me for most people is just uh, a gift and, sure. the, and it might not be the gift for sitting in chairs, being told when to sit down and go pee and what to learn and how to learn it. Yeah. But for someone that has that much energy and when they can find a way to laser it, which I think you're doing very well, man, that's a powerful diagnosis. Well, my the way that I, I – so I have a, a, a quote that I wrote once. It says something uh, – I'll butcher my own quote here, but um, – that uh, I don't think ADHD is necessarily a bad thing. I think it takes a mind that wanders to stumble on great ideas, you know, and I think so many of our creatives in, in this world and, you know, and even some of the greatest CEOs or whatever, if, you know, there's a lot of publicity around now that like, oh yeah, they, they were diagnosed with ADHD, uh, right. But they changed the world with their ideas and, and their energy and, you know, and all of that. Yeah. And then another thing that just caught my mind, that's a bit of a breaking normal topic that I've done before, because I've experimented with fasting and I, I love, I love kind of 
tinkering around with different forms of help and seeing what works best. Sure. Best. And uh, coffee enemas is something I've definitely done before, yeah. which I don't think many people have done. Would you recommend that for the average person? What's been in your experience? Did you do it before being diagnosed? No, never and, before. And did you no. do, have you done it after since I do it every week. I did two this weekend. I did it Saturday. I usually just do it once a week, but this Saturday, I did Saturday and Sunday. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. And in fact, uh, I'll, I'll preface before I give a little, a little, a little, my thoughts on it. Um, I have recommended it so much that we got our nanny doing it, my assistant doing it, my business partner doing it. About a half, half dozen of our mastermind members are doing it. Last at our, our live event last year, we do a live event every year, best year ever blueprint in San Diego. It's coming up here in a couple weeks. Um, we uh, we gave away coffee enema kits on stage, like for people that answered questions. Like it, it, it was hilarious. And but is that the traditional like red bag, like the one you would get from CVS when you say coffee enema kits? No, so there... it's a bucket. It's okay. a it's a stainless steel bucket. I get it on Amazon it's from a company called Aussie, I think. Um, there's a couple of them I can't think of, but just get like the best selling one. It's a stainless steel bucket with a tube, and then yeah, and you just lay on your kitchen floor or your bathroom floor and uh, lay down. I lay down a quilt and you know whatever. Um, but Chris Work, uh, there's a gentleman named Chris Work, W-A-R-K, uh, ChrisBeatCancer.com, C-H-R-I-S, ChrisBeatCancer.com. One of my favorite resources, uh, his website when I was diagnosed in terms of, so he beat his cancer completely naturally. And he was like stage three B, I think like colon cancer when he was 26, you know, which is like, you know, I mean, you're, uh, that's pretty far along. And, uh, he decided to go completely natural and he completely, you know, he's been free from cancer for like 13 years and he has, you know, I don't know, dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of people that have followed what he teaches. Uh, and he's interviewed dozens and dozens of the world's best, you know, doctors and oncologists and holistic doctors. Um, but, uh, but anyway, he talked about how coffee enemas is, one of, if not the best ways to keep yourself in remission uh, and prevent yourself from getting cancer. And uh, he, you know, I'm not qualified to explain the the whys of all that at this point. I don't remember the details, but um, but I but he explained the why and like what it does. And, and then I, I kept researching it and did more research. And uh, it's like anything, it's anything that's non-traditional. There's, you know, traditional medical community bashes it and they're like, oh, it's not, we can't, right? We can't patent that and uh, profit on it. So we don't recommend it, you know, take this pill, uh, right? And uh, yeah, so uh, I could, yeah. But anyway, but um, the, so yeah, so coffee enemas is something that I do every week now. I got my wife doing them and yeah, we all do. <laughs> and what, like, what's your, do you feel great after doing them, during them? I, I mean, cause I, I agree with you. I agree with almost everything you just said about why it might not be more popular than it is, at least from the healthcare perspective. I also think cult culturally, some people are like, that's embarrassing or weird. Yeah, or, or well, totally. Odd. It was weird for me. I didn't want to, I, I really was resistant, man. I did not, I mean, it, you know, I, and I, it's funny, I joke in the miracle equation, the new book, there's the, the two decisions of the miracle equation are very, very straightforward. Um, it's unwavering faith and extraordinary effort, right? So pe people that achieve extraordinary results in life, they, at some point, they make a decision, whether conscious or unconscious, that they're going to, that they have, they're going to establish unwavering faith that they can do something they've never done before. And they maintain that unwavering faith through the ups and the downs and the obstacles, right? So 
you know, show me a successful person that ha- didn't have to maintain that faith, make it unwavering. And then they put forth extraordinary effort, you know, they do. And, and which doesn't necessarily mean like working 80 hours a week. It just means consistent effort over an extended period of time until you achieve the result. Right. Um, and so I, I say in the joke or in the book, I, I use I give my cancer, you know, journey as an example. And I go, look, effort doesn't get much more extraordinary than sticking a tube up your butt, <laughs> right? Laying on the, on the bathroom floor. So yeah, it was uncomfortable, uh, for me for sure. Uh, in terms of, do I feel great after? Um, you know, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to get too graphic for your listeners, but the uh, so much like when you think you've gone the re- restroom, so much more comes out after the coffee enema. You're like, wow, that would have just been sitting in me for weeks, years, decades, and that's you know, that's the thing is, our, that's why colon cancer is very prevalent because we eat toxic foods, we put toxic things in our body, and it gets stored in our, and it just stays there. So coffee enemas, in terms of Anyway, it does some stuff with, with your with your liver in terms. It, it, it increases bile production. I'm terrible at explaining anything that's specific, but it increases bile production. So it, it does that. So there's the the benefits of what it's doing to detox your body from toxins. But in just in terms of cleaning cleansing your colon is is amazing. So that's the immediate benefit. You're like, wow, I feel so much like, and you literally will lose like an extra pound even after you've gone to the restroom. So it's like I'm like. I'm glad that pound is out of me rather than just, again, sitting in me for, for infinite amounts of time. Yeah. I, uh, I did not plan on going in nearly as in depth in coffee and emotion. Uh, well, it's something <laughs> I've down. done and I, I would love to see, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how we can get more people to do it for themselves and not be so crazy of a taboo thing, but like as a health practice, totally, it works. Totally. Totally. And I, have you ever read or heard of the Essene Gospels of Peace? No. Yeah, that was a book I read a long time ago, ultra spiritual book. I'm not sure if I agree as much as I did when I first read it, but it caused me, it kind of catalyzed me to go raw vegan. Nice. Like, and and they also talk about enemas as like a practice along with that. So you and I share that in common where we were raw vegan and then now we're kind of a hybrid. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I still love my fruits and vegetables, but I also just went hunting. Yeah, <laughs> we exactly. got to share yeah. some deer yeah. the other day. So yeah. for me, I always say I'm raw vegan by day and paleo by night. That's kind of become my, if I had to label it, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, just for energy, I raw vegan all day long. So I have tons of energy and then you know, in the evening, some, you know, small portion of grass fed meat or whatever. And on that note, the tons of energy and these radical health practices, do you have anything else that you do that might, people might think like, whoa, like enemas, that's one thing. Is there something else that's like, wow, that breaking normal of a, a health practice or a routine or a ritual? Yeah, let me think. I mean, I definitely do my own version of Bulletproof Coffee every morning. Okay. Uh, and I've been trying to get my wife on it forever. I'm like, sweetie, when you blend the coffee with the fat, it, 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 it's just the, your, the energy, you don't have that crash. She's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to. And finally, literally like th- five days ago, I finally got her to let me make her a bowl. And she was like, whoa, you're right. I didn't crash after I had the coffee. And I was like, I've been telling you that for you. So anyway, but um, no, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, so what do I, do I do anything else? I can't, I mean, I do lots of stuff. What about sleeping like, during your, is there, what is, what's your sleep I don't do any like? special sleep. I just sleep like a baby. Okay, that's I, it. Uh, yeah, I, I've always <laughs> slept Ready for really, Christmas really, in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I've always slept really, really well. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, that was, that's one of the miracle morning hacks is, uh, you know, is, is the bedtime affirmations, which is these affirmations that I created. And again, it was, I created them for myself back in the day when I was doing a miracle morning. It wasn't like I was doing the book and I thought of, oh, this would be a good little addition. It was actually really just something I used on my bedside table. And the idea was that when you were a kid, um, it, 
like I always tell people, think of the time when you were most excited to wake up in the morning as a kid. And if, you know, if you celebrated Christmas, that's for most kids, that would be it, like Christmas. If you didn't celebrate Christmas, that wasn't part of your life. Uh, maybe it was like your first day of school or vacation or, you know, whatever, or your birthday, right? So like where you went to bed, like, oh my gosh, it's tomorrow. I can't wait. It's tomorrow. And when I was writing the, or practicing the Miracle Morning, I realized, wait a minute, why wouldn't we go to bed that excited to wake up every single day of our lives, Right. Like, why wouldn't every, why wouldn't we wake up and every day we just decide that this is going to be the best day of my life? And it has nothing to do with what is going on around me and everything to do with what's going on inside of me. Like I'm choosing to show up today. This is the best day of my life. And so I created an affirmation that before bed, I would read it and it would essentially program my subconscious mind to be excited like a kid on Christmas Eve to wake up in the morning. So that is one thing that I do is setting my intentions before bed. And it's funny if I don't do that, when I wake up in the morning, like if I don't set my intention, I will, you know, wake up and go, oh, what am I doing today? You know, whatever. But, but kind of the miracle morning in general, by just by default, if I'm doing the miracle morning in the morning, I'm, my intention set. I'm waking up and I'm working on myself in the morning. And uh, what did you said the, the formula for uh, the miracle formula? Miracle equation. The miracle equation. Was Unwavering faith, faith and, and extraordinary effort. And extraordinary effort. how you effort. create miracles, which is, you know, an extraordinary result. And I imagine something we both share that on using that formula to realize, that at least this is for me, you can let me know if this is true for you, that this is the best moment in my life right now. Yeah. It's what's happening. Every moment. And that my, the future that I'm remembering is it only gets better and better. Yeah. Yeah. No, Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think you're, you've, you're procuring formulas for people to make that a habit. And that's what the last part of the book I was listening to was about the habit forming and changing habits. And I think that's probably such a game changer for so many people as well. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, and I'll just, a little book hack is that for anyone that is an author or even just a content creator, right? If you're a podcaster or a blogger or whatever, um, the one, you know, when the miracle morning took off so well, I, cause I didn't expect it to, I was, it wasn't, I just was like, I want to change a few lives. Like you said, I felt a sense of responsibility to share this morning ritual that had changed my life and the people I had shared it with my coaching clients, essentially, I thought I I've got to share it with the world, but I didn't think it was going to be some bestseller. And, um, the, uh, when I've kind of reverse engineered and deconstructed and be like, wait, why, why is it this word of mouth phenomenon? Like, I don't, you know, like when I was in the hospital with cancer, I didn't do a single podcast interview, nor put out a podcast. I didn't do anything. I was just in the hospital fighting cancer for a year. The Miracle Morning sold more copies than any other year because it's a word of mouth phenomenon. So I, I want to know why is that? Um, and it's because, I mean, there, there, you know, we could probably list, but we could talk about a few things, but the number one differentiator is that it changes behavior where most books only shift your thinking. And when you get a shift in thinking from a book, like think about it, any book you read, you're like, oh my gosh, while you're reading it, you're like, wow, I never thought of that. This is the best book I've ever read, right? And then for most books, they don't change your behavior. So as soon as you're done reading it, the only thing you do differently is you just go and read a different book. And then you forget about 90 to 100% of the things you read in the previous book, and now you're onto this new book. And you just go book after book after book after book after book after book. So if it doesn't change your behavior, you don't talk about the book typically after you're done reading it because now you're talking about what you're ne reading next. But if that first book, if it changed, or that blog post or that podcast, if it changed the listener or the reader's behavior in a way that was meaningful and that was, you know, the, the, like their daily behavior or it gave them a weekly routine with their spouse or whatever, then every time they do that routine, so for readers of the Miracle Morning, it's every single day they wake up in the morning 
And it's adding value to their life long after the book was read because it changed behavior. And so, and also they keep talking about it because people are like, wait, why are you leaving the, like for the Miracle Morning, why are you leaving the dinner party early? Oh, I got it, dude, I got to wake up early. I do this thing called the Miracle Morning. What is that? Oh, I read this book six years ago and here's how it, right? And, oh, you know, why are you going to bed early? Why, right? So, so if you can, so that to me is the number one differentiator to make your content sticky, to make it make an impact, to make it go viral, is that it changes people's behavior in a meaningful and sustainable way. Yeah, that, uh, that reminds me of something very similar. JP and Amber, they just went to the Brendan Burchard event in California. They've been back and forth nice. traveling while we've been here. And uh, that's why I, I remember JP's takeaway from the event, what he told me. <laughs> Here's a little gossip, like phone. <laughs> this is like game of phone with myself here. But he said that uh, he took away that to if you want to um, have a big following, inspire people. And if you want to make money, instruct them instruct them to do something that works. And uh, it sounds like that might be working for you as well. The, instru yeah. the actual instructions that someone can implement in their daily life as a habit, especially if it's going to upgrade their lives, that's something to maybe make sure that I'm including in yeah. future content. And that's the beauty of self-publishing too, is you could actually, you know, like I've, I've done a couple rewrites on the Miracle Morning, not like radical rewrites, but I, but I've, I would go in to the uh, Amazon and read, you know, I've read, there's, 3,300 reviews of the Miracle Morning. I've read probably every single one of them. And, uh, and in the beginning, I would look for the commonalities. When I say beginning, I mean, for the, I did this for the first two, three years or whatever. I would look for the commonalities in the negative, the critical reviews, right? The two and the three star reviews and go, what are people saying that? And I'm like, and then I would look for the common themes and go, oh, yeah, you know, I guess, yeah, people are pointing out that I, I did do this in the book. I, why, why did I do that? And so as a self-published author, I would go and I would, re, I would rewrite it and then upload a new draft. And then I'd have, a, you know, there's a new book, right? Um, or, or, you know, or an improved version of the book. So, um, but I think it, it, content should really culminate into behavior change, right? So that's the thing is you don't want to give people a buffet of behavior change. And yeah, you could, there's an artful way to do that. But meaning, you know, go, hey, you could do this, or 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 you could do this, right? People get confused. Miracle Morning is, hey, here's the six practices of the Miracle Morning to the savers, right? And then it all culminates into a 30-day challenge to do those six practices for 30 days. They can do it for an hour. They can do it for half an hour. So they can, you know, customize that. Um, and, uh, but it all culminates into that one thing. And then I say, look, do it for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, you'll know the value of each of those things. And I go, and you might decide that, you know what? I don't want to do all six moving forward. I, only four of them are really crucial for me, right? And you can customize it. But so, so the point is it, it simplifies, you know, it's, the behavior change is not just, that it changes behavior, but it does it in a way because it's so simple. It guides them, holds their hand all the way to the, you know, to, to them making that change and sustaining it. Yeah, I love that part too, the simplicity. I, I would say both of our books, another thing they have in common from my perspective is that almost anyone, if they speak English or whatever the language is published in, can understand it pretty simply and not, it doesn't make it any less profound. So sure. I, I love being able to pass it. Like I, I recently did a video, the, I don't know if you saw the flu season one, where I'm like teaching my daughter something about what I believe. And that just made my message so simple because she doesn't even speak English completely yet other than dada. So yeah. I'm like making these concepts so simple and it's very empowering for my message, I believe. Yeah. So I, I like the keep it super simple idea too with a strategy that people can implement on the daily. So are those different covers that you're... Yeah, so that's... All right, so now you you actually brought up something very important for me to talk about with you was... um, And this is maybe, you know, we're about 40 minutes in. Maybe I can get some consulting or yeah, kind of coaching from you. Yeah, whatever you want. So I originally published this book. I, I kept... I was like sitting on it for like 
years, 90 something percent done. And I just, and right when I saw my daughter being born in our living room in California, I was like, oh, it's my time to birth this book. So I gave myself like a hard nice. deadline or lifeline to publish it and I got it out. Uh, but in the meantime, I've built a, a Breaking Normal app that's pretty much ready for the public to use. Nice. And um, so I want to end this cover. I kind of honored one of my friends that created it. Oh, and wow. I, and I loved it. And I, I still love it. But a big part of the book is shedding the skin of who we aren't so we can become what we are. And that I'm. my hunch is that this uh, cover, I'm about ready to shed the cover. Yeah. <laughs> these these two covers, were I was. these are like just previous drafts before I published it. So I I'm like gonna, this one. Uh, cool. That was the original idea. Probably yeah. the OG idea. Um, I like that one. I like the simplicity of it. Um, I like that. Yeah, it's, it's very recognizable. It stands out. I like the contrasting color, the blue. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to add in probably an afterward and maybe even another chapter and information about the app and how to people to kind of create more of a movement rather than just like a read and move on to the next book. Yeah, got it. So. Yeah, that's I wonder what your one opinion. So you like this cover the best out of these? Yeah, okay, absolutely. This, the blue pill breaking, and that, I don't know which. If that might, different people might get different things out of it. What do you get out of the blue pill breaking, or what is what does that look like to you? Is there any meaning to that for you? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I, so there's the title, the, the breaking, right? That that it, the or the tie-in with breaking, right? That with the pill breaking. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I you know a little bit. I think Matrix, right? Like the red pill, blue pill. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just, for me, for me, break the tie in with the word breaking and then just the visual of it. Those were, those were the two things that I liked. Okay. Uh, I'm happy to hear that from you. And then my current subtitle is this one, uh, rewild your inner child and set the truth free. And a lot of people resonate with the rewild your inner child. That seems to be like what people almost take away as much as the cover breaking normal they're like oh yeah that's like the phrase they they usually use in the reviews so that seems okay. to resonate but my wife and other people that i've talked to they they don't know if it's clear enough or, I, I don't like it okay so yeah yeah please, <laughs> yeah please do you have there's this one a fun comfortable guide to, to short circuit the rat race of regular relationships and then just one was the freedom catalyst that's like a hashtag i use yeah uh, my wife says something like she wants me to include the subtitle of like uh Remember who you are before society told you who to be. Something along those lines as a subtitle. But Ooh, I like that. Okay, I actually like that. Um, yeah, this the the fun, comfortable guide to short circuit the rat race. Regular for whatever reason that to me that's white noise. It, like it just sounds like a like it could be any book subtitle. I know when I, was, when I was reading it to you, I had a hard time finishing. And by the way, I, I second guess my subtitle all the time. So if I were to do it over again, I probably would change it. So mine is a long. It's the not so obvious secret guaranteed to transform your life before eight a.m. Um, so, you know, so I don't know that I'm, I love the clarity of like before 8am. Yeah. That's, that's like, Oh, this is okay. What's this guy got? That intrigues me immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my, I mean, there's a lot of thought that actually went into that title. Um, a not so obvious secret is actually something that I, I, I modeled, stole, whatever you want to call it from Dan Kennedy. Uh, he, he used to title his articles. He would write posts and, you know, he, or in his books, he would just, he would put the not so obvious secret. I, I, that, that intrigued me. I thought it was, you know, the secret is obviously very played out. Not so obvious was kind of interesting. Um, guaranteed was simply actually just for me, uh, like studying, I forgot what book I read, but it talked about like words that, that make people feel secure or feel something right. And guaranteed was like, people feel like if it's guaranteed, then I can trust it, right? Um, and then, yeah, the before 8 a.m. was the part that I really liked in terms of like that caught your, like if it was just the, if it was just the not so obvious secret guaranteed to transform your life, it'd be like, eh. But the before 8 a.m. was like, 
huh, what? What was that little, what was that last part that you said, you know? Um, so yeah, so for years, I like, um, da, 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 da. tell me what your, uh, tell me the other one you just said. Oh, so Deanna's strong suggestion currently, because we're getting ready to, to do this, yeah. probably before the podcast launch, because um, I want nice. the podcast, the app, to and all to, yeah, nice. all to be you. congruent. She is saying something along the lines is, remember who you are before society told you who to be. I like that. I think that might be it. I with, like and what about with the blue pill, with that and breaking normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Okay, I like that you like that. And on your title, this is a question I have for you. We, I have so many awesome photos of us traveling around the world. And one, I've, I've had silhouette shots like this, and then I've had shots similar there just right on me, like where you can see me. Yeah. What's the science or the idea of the silhouette versus like clearly seeing you yeah. on the cover? What about that? So uh, I, so that is a stock image. It, it's funny. It's a stock image wow. with my head put on it. Okay. I was like, man, that's gotta so, be you. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was wanting to do the cover, I, you know, I was just, I went on to, you know, I was looking for images of some of, of a sunrise essentially. Right. And there was a gazillion different ones. You know, there's the one that's super popular, like the guy like this or whatever. And you know, that's like so played out. I didn't want to do that. Um, but what I liked about this is it felt, it felt like he was like, it was welcoming. Right. Um, and so that was, that was what I liked about it, it was the arm spread and just that it was welcoming and it was probably a week before the book came out that, uh, I was speaking at a school in South Dakota, I think at, at like a retreat for these, uh, college students. And this guy goes, is that you on the cover? Oh, cause I showed a slide. I was like, Hey, I got a new book coming out. You guys, I'm excited. And he goes, Oh, is that you on the cover? And I go, look at this hair. I go, you think that's me? Cause it had, he had flat hair. And the guy goes, Oh, too bad your graphic designer couldn't like put your silhouette of your head with your spiky hair on, uh, on, on it. And I was like, so I text my design. I'm like, dude, could you do this? He's like, I'm sure. I'm like, yeah, you know, so, which is cool. Cause even though it's not my body, it, it does feel like me on the cover. Cause that's my, you know, that's my, my ears, my, <laughs> my hair, my head. And it also looks like I'm trying to see if that's an East coast sunrise or a West coast sunset, <laughs> but oh, it definitely looks like it could be a morning. That's a good point. It could be a, you're right. You're right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm and I, the, another thing that came into my mind was Brandon was saying, do you think it was just like the podcast culminating that kind of created the tipping point? Or was there one thing in particular? Was there like a big moment, like one big podcast or one big show? Or was it just literally? It was everything. Yeah. All of it stacked. Yeah, that's uh, one of my mentors used to always say. Um, I think he said in the context of he'd put on these live events and people would go, what's, you know, what's like the number one way, right. To, mm -hmm. to, to fill up a live event. He goes, I don't know any number one ways, but I know 62 of <laughs> number, whatever ways. And I do all of them. Right. And so, um, but yeah, but for me, the, uh, the, the podcasts, you know, but it was, yeah, it was a culminating effect and it was also a culminating effect of just enough people that had, right. You know, the, that tip, if you read the book, the tipping point. Uh, but it's funny enough, I've read, almost read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell's books, but I didn't finish The Tipping Point. So that was the one I that uh, a, a friend of mine, Brianna Greenspan, friend of ours now, yeah. uh, she got me that book right when The Miracle Morning, when I wrote it, because she's like, this can be huge, Hal. Like, she saw the vision bigger than I did. Um, and uh, I was like, okay. And I, I read that book, and it kind of explained how, you know, it's just this 
you know, kind of just gradually just keep doing things, you know, keep moving forward, keep sharing stuff. And, and eventually you hit that critical mass. And, um, it obviously, if you can get on an Oprah or something that, you know, that, that's a shortcut to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't, well, actually I mentioned Pat Flynn's podcast earlier, his podcast, um, the month that it came out, he has a big loyal following and he actually started doing the miracle morning. And he not only put out a podcast, but he wrote a blog saying, I've been doing it for 30 days, changing my life. Oh, nice. I was never a morning person before this. And, uh, and so I did see a, there, you know, there was a, a kind of a spike. It was almost like the, you know, the perfect storm where his podcast and blog came out the month that it just, I also was like the previous three months before that, it was when it started to, to take off. But here's the biggest thing is I show a graph in the Beyond the Bestseller book that will be out someday, probably in a couple of years. But uh, I show a graph of my, the Miracle Morning book sales. And I've given this as a speech. In fact, I just spoke at Joe Polish's event, Genius Network, and this was, I gave the speech and I show this graph and it's Miracle Morning book sales. And it's the last point of the Beyond the Bestseller strategies is continue promoting until dot, dot, dot. And it's until you reach the impact and the income that you, that you want, right? And, and it, takes long. Most people aren't willing to stick with, especially us on ADD, ADHD, entrepreneurial, you know, ADHD, especially where, uh, I've had so many authors come up to me and, and, and that graph shows it took a year and a half of promoting the miracle morning before my sales on month 18 equaled month one. So meaning month one is where you leverage everything, you every relationship you have, every favor you have, right? And that's where I sold 1500 copies on Amazon, leveraging every, you know, emailing my, you know, not very many people on my small email list calling. I mean, I literally cold called every speed. I mean, I called people and got them to do bulk orders. You, like I hustled that month, right? But it's like once that's over, like you, you, you've you exhausted every resource. So my sales, I didn't have a platform. And I think this is a really great message for anybody out there is, especially an author, but anybody is that, um, you know, month two, my sales dropped way off but I kept promoting, I kept doing interviews. Month three, I wasn't, so the point is, month three, month four, month five, month six, the, the, the needle wasn't moving. I wasn't being rewarded for my efforts. I was working my butt off, to, I was flying around the country doing the TV interviews. I was doing podcast interviews. I was putting out my own podcast. I was promoting the Miracle Morning community every single day, the Facebook group. And it wasn't, nothing was happening. But I knew, just based on that microcosm evidence, from people saying, how this totally changed my, this miracle morning thing. I was not a morning person and I, now I am, and it's changing my life. That, that sense of responsibility, I know that if I keep sharing it, it will keep changing lives. And it took a year and a half. And if I would have given up like most people, month three or six or nine or 12 or 15, right? then it never would have been what, 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 what now is happening. Million people, you know, it would never would have been. And so, um, there's that one, I think one of the truest, uh, can't think of the word axiom or idiom, or I don't know, I'm using the wrong word, but is, uh, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And the number's a little arbitrary, but, um, you know, people that you see that you go, wow, like I didn't know who they were. And now they're like the highest paid. They go, you didn't see me struggling for the last 10 years to try to, you know, to get this thing off. Nobody knew who I was, nobody paid any attention, but it's those few people that go back to the miracle equation, maintain unwavering faith and put forth extraordinary effort until dot, 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 right? 
it, 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 some people it takes 10 years, some people it takes 20 years. And then they like Colonel Sanders. I mean, there's so many, you know, stories throughout history of people that while the rest of the world was like, A, I'm not even going to try because I don't think I can do it. I don't really know if I'll succeed or B, well, I tried and it didn't really get the results I wanted. So, uh, you know, I'm doing something else now. Everybody has that shiny, you know, they just, we won't move on to the next thing. And people, authors go, how? man, I promoted my book hard for three months, but it didn't take off. So then I went and did, I, I focused on something else. If I, I never, you did it for 18 months without seeing results, right? So yeah, to me, I think that for all of us to realize that if you believe in it, what are you willing to commit to for years until you get where you want to go? Yeah, I hear that. I hear, and it reminds me of a book. I know you're a fan of Napoleon Hill. Um, Thinking Rich. Th- that and Three Feet from Gold. Gold yeah, 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 yeah. That yep. concept. They really drive that home. So yeah. thank you for reminding us of all of that. And being on so many podcasts, since this is the Breaking Normal podcast and we're getting close to a wrap, um, are there, is there any questions that you've never been asked, like a question that you've never been asked that you were surprised? I'm like, has, why does no one ask you that question? Yeah, Um the uh, I'm trying to think. My because my brain I have I suffer from brain damage from my car accident from the uh, uh, chemo. Usually when someone says what's the story like they ask me that kind of question I'm like my brain just kind of goes blank. I'm like ah. Uh. Oh, they ask you this type of question, yeah. a question that you've never been asked. Yeah. Or they say like what's one thing you've never told anyone? You know? And I'm like I don't know because I would I tell everybody every like I'm an open book. So. You are that which uh, uh, I also uh, resonate with you since I first met you. I'm like oh, this guy is not really trying to hide much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know if that's the brain damage or if it's. I don't know what it is, how I was raised, but um, no. Um, the uh, Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I don't get asked about my family very much, but... I, the, I got to meet I got to meet Ursula yeah. and briefly and your kids, two Sophie kids. And Allison, yeah, yeah, beautiful family. Wow. Uh, the biggest breakthrough that I had during my cancer was to live in alignment with what matters most. And I think that very few of us do that. Um, meaning, not very few of us do that, but we're not... We're, we're not um, how do I put it? Here's an example. If, if somebody would have asked me before I had cancer, what's your number one priority? And if you ask anybody with a family, they would typically say my family, right? Uh, my kids, you know, but then if somebody were to look at your schedule or if they looked at my schedule, right? Um, they, it, it wouldn't have reflected that. It's like, and I think that for most, especially, you know, hard charging entrepreneurs, it's like, well, wait, you say family's number one, but when I look at your schedule, like, you're working all the time and you're traveling all the time, which I was, and your kids get like 30 minutes with you in the evening when you're exhausted and they're exhausted. And I realized that my kids were getting leftover dad. I'm the miracle morning guy. I'm the best in the morning. Uh, I'm my best in the morning, not, not in the evening. And so, um, so yeah, so I think that for all of us, just really pulling out our journal and, 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 and getting clear on what matters most and then pulling out our schedule and better aligning our time with what matters most. And now instead of getting off work at 5 p.m. Uh, and hanging out with my kids for a little bit, I now get off at 2 p.m. and I go pick my kids up from school. And then I bring them home and I play with them and I play with them in the morning. And I like, you know, I just, I just, my, my world now revolves around my kids. Um, and I've 80, 20 my work instead of just filling up hours with checking emails. And, you know, there's, I could work till I could work 24 hours a day and still not get everything done that I want to get done. And I think that we have to break that mindset from, 
going, well, I'm going to put as much time as I can at work, especially when we're not where we want to be financially. It's even harder because scarcity, you're like, I have to put every second into my work. But the reality is every second isn't, isn't valuable. It isn't profitable. It isn't moving the needle. So it's really getting clear on what are the 20% of the activities that drive 80% of my results. I'm going to do those and I'm going to delegate the other 80% either to an assistant or I'm going to leave them, you know, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spin my wheels for that ineffective of time when I could be doing the things that really matter most. And that that's health, that's family, your relationships, you know, um, all of the above. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that reminder as well. I, I think you're like a beacon of light in several, so many dimensions, dimensions, but one being that you're by you sharing your story and, um, within the accident, the health challenges, like that, those t- seem to be major catalysts for you to prioritize what's most important. Sure. But I'm. I'll, I also want to speak to the people that are in their they're healthy and vital and robust right now. That, that I think you're reminding all of us. No one needs to wait for a reminder. Like this is the reminder. Yeah. This is the wake up call. Yeah, and that's what I've been saying. Yeah, when I had my car accident, I I remember I've had a couple people say uh, a couple early on when I was speaking, <clears throat> um, sharing my story. I was in my twenties, you know, this was like 15 years ago or whatever. I, uh, I remember one guy in particular, he came up and he goes, um, if I would have, uh, he goes, man, you're so positive. I really appreciate your message. I was like, oh, thanks. And you know, he's like twice my age. He was probably 50 and I was 25. And he said, man, he goes, if I had gone through what you've been through, I'd be positive. I'd be that positive too. And I go, well, no, 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 no. The, the reason I came today is so you don't have to get in a head-on collision with a drunk driver to be positive, to be grateful, to be happy, to be present to how awesome life is, right? Like, you know, so yeah, so I appreciate you, you sharing that. But I think that for all of us, you know, uh, yeah, not like looking at what other people have gone through and really learning, both on if someone else has overcome something, right? That's evidence you can overcome it or overcome your own challenges. If someone has achieved something, to me, that's evidence that you can achieve it. Like, I think that's a big problem is we create separation. Like, oh, they're more charismatic than me, or they're more talented than me, or they're older than me, or they have more experience, or like whatever. There's a zillion reasons to separate. But the, the one thing is, no, 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 they're a human being just like you. They were born without any of the resources, the things that, you know, just like you. Or you can find people that have overcome more than you or I will ever overcome, right? Cancer, it doesn't matter. People have overcome extraordinary circumstances to become happy, healthy, successful. So that's evidence that we can all do the same. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for the reminder. And I made made a post yesterday to see if anyone had any questions. I would love to honor some of the Breaking Normal friends and family out there see if they have anything. But um, I'm feeling pretty complete. (laughs) Man, there's a lot lot to chew on here. Yeah. Yeah, brother. Good good conversation. Well, while you're looking for that, do you want me to Fill up space, <laughs> please, please. I love how you say fill up space. I, I that's a, another little recontextualization I do. Like people talk about killing time. I'm like, why in the heavens would you kill, kill time? time? I fill time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Um, no, so one of the sentiments that I I try to share anytime I I can, you know, uh, speaking or even on a Facebook post, is that you know we go through life and we often I call it gap focus. We focus on where we are versus where someone else is and create envy or where we are based on where we thought we would have been by this point in our lives and create regret or where we are compared to where we think we could be or want to be or should be and create, right? We create this like this scarcity of like, I'm not where I want to be. And we, most people go through life 
Like that's their default mode of being. Like it's this constant monkey on our back. Like, why am I not further along? And why, you know, and it's like, and, and, and so here's the, the lesson is that anytime you find yourself wishing or wanting that you were further along than you are now, it's to realize that when you finally get to the point that you've been working so hard for, for so long, you almost never wish it would have happened any sooner. Instead, you look back in hindsight and you go, oh, this is, it was perfect. Like the journey was perfect. The timing was perfect. I had to go through all that shit. I had to overcome all those, like I had to, that, that, that shaped me to become the person that is, was able to create what I wanted. And it's, you know, it's hindsight that allows that. But so I'm here to tell you, once again, don't go through the car accident. Don't, I'm here to tell you that wall maintain, or I'm sorry, be at peace with where you are. No matter where you are, no matter whether you, like when I had cancer, I would just, this is a perfect, perfect. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. When I was in the car hospital, not knowing if I'd ever walk again, I was like, I'm, at, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I don't know exactly why or how or what, but I'm at peace. So be at peace with where you are while you simultaneously maintain a healthy sense of urgency to move forward every day a little closer, a little further along in the direction of your, your, your greatest goals, your dreams, et cetera. So don't, don't, don't go through life stressed, wishing you were further along, be at peace with where you are, but yeah, move along and move toward the vision that you have for your life. And so I think those, those are really important. I think a lot of people, um, you know, they, the more they want something, the more they want things to be different, the more they create stress over the way things are. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can simultaneously be in bliss every day Right? And I think you, Daniel, are a living example of that. You do that really well. Um, and uh, while you are, you know, moving toward, uh, you know, a better life. Yeah, thank you. I, I hear that. I feel that. I agree with that. And, I, and the way I've looked at that over the years is like, if I'm not grateful for what I have right now, what business do I have desiring more? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, celebrities show us that, you know, you see so many celebrities that they turn to drugs or alcohol, like they have everything they ever wanted. But if we don't learn how to be grateful and appreciative what we have, then what we get, when we get what we think we want, we are still the person that doesn't know how to be grateful and appreciative what we have. And then we only like, and it's this never ending wanting, wanting, wanting more and never being fulfilled. And so, yeah, wherever you are right now, love it. Love every minute. To me, that's a great, uh, great ending there. Thank you. Yeah, brother. Thank you. Hal. Thank you. Appreciate you. And I would love to. What I'll do is a little, maybe like a one-minute video recap that we can maybe throw on Instagram once this comes out. Yeah, whatever you want. It's a great shirt, dude. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. I'm actually wearing a different. Uh, oh, this is a quick thing. Uh, maybe I'll throw this in here, or it'll just be private. But I'm uh, wearing a different shirt of an animal for each of the 12 episodes, and I'm going to build like a little scavenger hunt <laughs> into each podcast yeah, and yeah, give yeah. away 12 gifts. Uh, so it'll be 12 days of Christmas, starting on 12 12, like ending it um, probably Christmas Eve. Yeah, Christmas That's Eve. Awesome. And so it's somewhat intentional. I'm figuring it out myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, so I'm here with Hal. Hal all right. Check, check again. <laughs> I'm here with Hal Elrod. I believe this is the seventh recording of the Breaking Normal podcast. It'll be launched 12-12. This is his book, The Miracle Morning. And I think we had a pretty Breaking Normal conversation. I think we broke normal, officially. We, we talked about coffee enemas, ADHD, car <laughs> cancer. accidents, cancer. <laughs> Books. Self-publishing books. Early rising. Yeah, we, we hit them all. Family. 
What matters most? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I have one more question for you. your wife, Ursula. We got to meet her. How does she inspire you the most? Uh, she is – she's just – she's everything I ever wanted in a wife, in a life partner, um, and then everything I never knew that I needed, but, like, now I could never live without. She's – yeah, she's just – she's the woman of my dreams, and, and it took me a long time to fully figure that out. You know, I think that still every day I see – I get to know her, and, and we grow uh, closer, and, uh, yeah, and so it, it keeps growing. Awesome. Hi, Ursula and everyone else. All right. Thank you, pal. Thanks yeah, again, man. Pleasure. I think that's a wrap. Pleasure. Rasta. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Okay, I'm going to make this outro ubiquitous for the first 12 episodes. And it's basically me taking my own advice, walking my talk, and asking for what I want without being attached to getting it. And that's a review on this podcast. A review on the Breaking Normal book, whether it's on Amazon or Audible. For y'all to start Breaking Normal and let me know what it does for you. This is a big expression of my heart and soul. And it's another iteration of self-acceptance through self-expression. And I do believe that what's most personal is most universal. It's a great guiding light for how to communicate with one another. So if this added value to your life, and even if you think it didn't, let me know through a review. And uh, don't forget about that. We're going to be giving away a free tribe design to someone that leaves a review on the podcast. So go to BreakingNormal.com and check out the podcast section and uh, be eligible to win. To take action, at least putting yourself in a position to win this prize. And maybe this will be a big symbolic step. Like one small step here may take a giant leap for the rest of your life to put yourself in the opportunity to win. Which also puts yourself in the opportunity not to win. Which is... Both are a win, in my opinion. So let's tap into that vibration of winfinity and join us on that journey and keep breaking normal and stay in touch and be sure to ask for what you want without being attached to getting it to the people that would matter the most. And if that's to me, reach out to me. Let's do it. I'm excited to hear about it. Much love to you all. I look forward to exploring this infinite, evolving adventure out loud, authentically, synergistically, alchemically, and in respect to the divine. God bless.